You may be seated, and as you're seated, please turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 18, and I do apologize, I did not mention that the children, uh, three or four, would like to go to, uh, to junior worship, um, they, they were dismissed early. They know that, and you probably had um, them go already, but um, I wanted to make sure you knew. In the corner there, we have junior worship for ages three and four, if your children would like to be part of that. Uh, Genesis 18, we continue to do verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Genesis, and knowing that you know these verses that God has for us is what he's calling us to look through and investigate on this day. And so we just do pray as we come to this text that it would be a challenge and an encouragement to you as you walk with Christ. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under this tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk from the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, with the word of our God, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, God, uh, we come asking that you would speak to us with whatever we bring here today. Father, in our joys, in our complacencies, in our disappointments and sadnesses, with thanksgiving in our heart or grief over what's to come, God, we do pray that you would speak to us in your text, revealing yourself to us. What greater thing is there than to know you, to walk with you, and you've made yourself accessible in Jesus Christ, in your word. And so, Father, speak to us by your word. Father, speak to us and change us. Make us the people you want us to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to Genesis chapter 18, uh, we come to a point with Abraham and Sarah where disappointment demonstrates itself as cynicism. 
right? They've been waiting for God to fill certain promises for 25 years now. They came to the promised land as God instructed them 25 years ago. And through abundant blessing, they're still waiting for one thing. They're still waiting for a child to come. And they're pretty doubtful it's going to come if you see some of the words that were spoken in the text that we said. Over this last week, somebody said to me, do you, do, you, do you really believe that they could have babies at age 100 and 90? And it's, it's I mean, it is pretty hard to believe. We don't see uh, that happening out inside of our normal world today. And, um, but, you know, as we look forward, we know that that's exactly what's going to happen. But we can understand they're going to come to some doubts with it as they come to this, but also the disappointment with it. You see the word pleasure, which is given, as Sarah talks about. Shall I have pleasure? Shall I have pleasure in my life? There's a certain disappointment which has moved into a certain cynicism about life. It really brings us into a question of how we handle disappointment and do we lapse into cynicism? Cynicism is the belief that, that nobody means what they say. It's the belief that nothing will ultimately turn out for good. When we become cynical, we give up on good things happening and that good things can happen. We accept levels of disappointment. We stop trying. We accept all the world. And, and in the end, we think if nothing else really matters, why not just look out for myself? You know, it's one of the great ways that we end up in sin ourselves. I read a story this week about how cynicism can lead to great evil and great crime. It was about a drug enforcement agent, um, U.S. drug enforcement agent who was working in Colombia. Um, the, the, the drug trade is very bad there, um, and the U.S. would send these drug enforcement agents to solve it. And this one DEA agent realized that, you know, this is so bad, there's nothing that we can do about it. And so why even try and so as him trying with it, he actually ended up um, using it to enrich himself. He began to take bribes, and he used to, um, to launder money, and, and he'd send millions of dollars here and there. He's, he was called this last week the most corrupt agent in U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration history, making millions of dollars in that. Well, that we're speaking about it, we know that he got caught. He got prosecuted. He's going to jail. His wife divorced him. Everything that he had that was good before has been taken away, and all the things that he had during that time was also taken away. What does he say about himself? He says, I was very good at what I did, but I became somebody I wasn't. I became a different man. And it all started with his belief that, hey, there's nothing we can do about this, a sort of cynicism which turned into self, um, just looking out for the self if I can't do anything about it anyway. Right? If we think that nothing we do matters can lead to all kinds of evil. There's another cynicism I heard about just this morning. I was reading a prayer letter from a friend in Colorado. He's a missionary, and they were uh, working at a, a suicide prevention place. And um, in it, they were able to interact with people. And, and um, as a Christian, you know, he was representing their mission and their work that they do. And there was a lady that came up to him and said, you know, you know, as I've struggled with depression, as I've struggled with suicidal thoughts, you know, is that I figured that God had given up on me. And so I gave up on God. And he said, just by talking to you now, I'm realizing maybe I should rethink my, my assumptions. Right? But there's a sort of cynicism. God's given up on me. So I just gave up on God. But so we need a hope that takes us through that. Because if we're going to deal with uh, disappointment in a godly way, um, there's a hope that we need, hope that we need to find in it. And, and even though this, this, where this passage goes, he's pointing us towards a hope which is still yet to come. 
and to avoid a cynicism which leads to a kind of death that happens before we even die. Because the death of hope. It's a shrinking of the world to just what I see around me and what I think is possible with me. Leaving no room for God to come in and to interact with our lives. But as we come to Genesis chapter 18, what we see is God coming in, intruding himself really into the lives of Abraham and Sarah very directly, very personally, and really calling them to make space, to make space for God inside their life, inside their hopes, inside of their dreams. And I hope that's a, it's an encouragement for us as we look through God's intrusiveness into our lives and how do we respond to his is intruding. You know, do we respond by making space for God to speak to us? All right, so we want to look at that. We have uh, two big points. Verses 1 through 8 is our first point, and verses 9 through 15 is our second point. So the first point we want to look at today is our need to make space in our daily life for God. Our need to make space in our daily life for God. So again, remember Abraham and Sarah, where are they at? 25 years they've been in this promised land. They left their homeland, left their home country to move to this place to build a new nation, right? to trust in God's promises. And they had amassed wealth. They were in this promised land. They even had fighting men who were supporting them, but they didn't have that child who would continue on um, their that legacy for the future to carry on God's promises into the future. And so we see in verse one, uh, what happens? God comes and he visits them on what is an otherwise ordinary day. Verse one, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So you see an ordinary day, he's trying to cool himself from all the work that needs to be done. He's just sitting by his tent, relaxing, nice cool glass of sweet tea, right? And then God appears to him. This ordinary day turns supernatural because God visits him. It's a physical appearance. You can see in verse 2, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold him, three men were standing in front of him. It's supernatural. There's a sudden appearance, surprise, out of the blue, unexpected. Three men standing before him. And what's his response when he saw them? He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. He sees something is different in them. And so he bows down before them, giving them honor. Right? And then, verse 3, and says, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He recognizes there's something different. He doesn't use the word Yahweh or God's covenant name. He uses the word Adonai, which is the formal title given to somebody, Lord. But he recognizes that there's something different in these men that have come uh, to visit them. He recognizes they're not ordinary people. This is a a theophany, right? That's That's what's out of the ordinary here. The Lord has come to visit him. God has come, as we saw in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him. That is, on verse 1, that is God's covenant name. See the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? That's Yahweh, God's covenant name. So God had come to meet with them personally. So what's with the three men that are here? What does that mean? You know, if we look at verses like uh, chapter 18, verse 16, if you look at verse like 1822, we see that the two men who are with, uh, there were three men, but two of them would eventually leave. They would leave before all the conversations are done. And if you jump down to 19 verse 1, you see how it describes those two men. It describes them as angels. Okay, so basically what you see here is you see two angels accompanying the Lord. So that's who those three people are. One is the Lord, theophany, God come down in the flesh to, to, to meet with 
Abraham and Sarah accompany with two messengers who have something to say to Abraham. Now you can see in verses four and five, Abraham's response to them, he wants them to stay. Look at verse four. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread so you may refresh yourself and after that may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you said. So, you know, you see his, his, he sees a great opportunity. He sees, you know, something supernatural is happening. The Lord has come to visit him and there's nothing uh, that he wants more than to take advantage of this opportunity. He does not want this opportunity to meet with the Lord to pass him by. So he offers refreshments to them. Really, it's not an accidental visit that's happening here. Not only is Abraham enthusiastic to speak with them, but, but they came in order to speak with Abraham. You know, God reaches out first. Abraham responds by faith. It's a reminder of the great passage in Revelation 3.20. Really reminds me of Revelation 3.20. Uh, you know, if you memorize scripture, this is a great verse to memorize. If you don't already have it memorized, it's really one that we could know and should know. This is Jesus's word. Jesus's word to his church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Abraham hears God's voice. He hears that knocking at the door. And what are they going to do? They're going to share a meal together. You know, Revelation 3.20 is God's promise, Christ's promise to his church. Right now, spiritually speaking, Christ is knocking. He knocks at the door of his church. He offers to dine with his church. And sadly, too often, churches and even people don't make time for him. We're, we're too busy to spend time with him. We don't listen for the knock. We're not honest with our needs. We have our own plan. And so that knock goes unheeded. But not for Abraham. He answers it. Again, remember, this is an ordinary time for Abraham. You know, yeah, there's been, there's been gains and losses in his life. It's a, it's a hot day. You know, they've been waiting, waiting for this child to come. Time of waiting. God to fulfill his legacy plan. And that's when God comes new. And speaks new, you know, comes fresh and, and renews him. You know, it's a reminder to us of our need to make space for God in our ordinary lives. You know, or in our daily lives. We need him daily. And unless we make time to meet with him... You know, that door stays closed. We may not even hear that knocking that's coming for us. I mean, we make decisions every day that affect our future. And those, the way we make those decisions are largely dependent on, you know, what our life is centered on. What are we building our life around? And that's why it's so important that that is a regular intake of God's word and centering our lives on that word of God. I've realized that my times in the word of God are so important just for the centering of my life to make sure that my center stays true because my center is Jesus Christ. Abraham took every opportunity that he had knowing that God was there to meet with him and he gets ready and he gets right to work. Verses six through eight, Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. All right, so one of the things that you're gonna notice here is the speed of the passage. Look what it says here, Abraham went quickly. Now remember, Abraham is 100 years old. 
Okay, so, you know, you might say, well, how can he have babies at 100 years old? You might say, well, how can he run when he's 100 years old? Because that's what it says down in verse 7. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. You know, so we know that, that this is a healthy man still, and he's still able to do a lot. He's moving quickly. He is running, and there is no time to waste. And he provides what you see, an extravagant meal. Right, these three sayas of flour ends up being about six gallons of flour. And then he goes and then he gets a calf from his own herd, right? A perfect one. And then verse 8 talks about yogurt, really, uh, curds and milk and the calf he prepared and set it before them. And they stood by them under the tree while they ate. So he's creating this feast. There's only three people there, plus him and Sarah, but there's this feast that he is preparing for these men to enjoy. You know, it's, it's an anticipation of, wow, look at this worship opportunity. You know, there is no sacrifice that is too big to make. There is no extravagance um, that, that is too great in order to honor my God who has come here. It's a good forepicture of, of these women who watched Jesus with expensive um, perfume, expensive oils. You know, God's people, when they see God present, tend to respond that way with extravagant worship, right? We, we make space in our lives for the things that matter. Now, I wonder, you know, we have Abraham's enthusiasm here. How many of us treat a meeting with God um, with such enthusiasm? Or think about those times that we don't. You know, Abraham here has a chance to meet with the Lord, and he does everything he can to set it up. How haphazard are we in our own communion? We know God meets with us as we gather for worship, and yet how often do we fail to plan ahead? Even the Lord offers to meet with us, we think it's a small thing to skip worship. But we make space in our time for the important things and committing ourselves to them. And if you look at James 22, 23, it describes Abraham with these words that Abraham was called the friend of God. We make time for friends because they matter for us. Thanksgiving is a time you might be inviting friends over. You might be inviting family over. You know, maybe it's a good time to invite new friends over. Or those, those who seem lonely without friends in our area. You know, it's a chance to invite others to do that. And Abraham, his friendship with God was evident by his desire to spend time with him. What a reflection is that on our Lord's Day worship? You know, as God gives us a worship service and, and, and says, you know, I meet with you in a special way on this Lord's Day as my people gather together. It's why we think it's so important to gather together in the morning and the evening. You know, we have a uh, hundred times over the course of a year in, in gathered worship services that come and to worship him. Worshiping him is a big deal. Do you think of it as such an important deal? Is it reflected to you as you interact with your children? Do they see the importance for you inside your own life that coming to meet with the Lord uh, matters to you greatly? You make every preparation in order to do it. But reflecting this week over our live stream as well, and just, just a reminder for our live stream, our, our, our live stream, we're glad to have it. It came at a time of national crisis, time of time when people needed to be home for various reasons, their own reasons, came for a chance to just continue to, you know, to feed ourselves on the word of God, you know, but, but it was never really intended to be a substitute for gathering together with the people of God. 
You know, because what happens when we gather together is the Lord is, 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 is present in the gathering of God's people together. And the live stream is important. And, and we, you know, we continue to have shut-ins. We continue to have people who are sick or away. You know, but we're always remembering that God calls us into, in, to, to his physical presence together with him and with other people to the best of our ability that we can for worship. It's a big deal that God has met with Abraham. In fact, this is, you know, God meets, eats a meal here with Abraham here, and I think there's not another meal with God until the New Testament when Jesus eats with his disciples. You know, but so, you know, it's, it's a significant event that this would happen, but we have that regular reminder that God does say, where two or three gather my name, I will be there with him. You know, the Bible calls this the, te- the, the temple of God. Temple's where God comes and he's present. You know, so God manifests himself inside the assembly of God's people in worship. All right, so we need to make space for God in our lives. We see this Abraham making space for God. Um, There's a space in our daily routines to make time for God and to see that he is at the center. The second thing we want to see in our um, text today is our need to make space in our hopes for God. Unless we have time and habits and make time to be around, you know, we're not going to find those hopes, right? See, God intrudes to make time in his daily life to remind him of the hope that he has. And we need that reminder as well. But we also have to open our hearts to receive that. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, so now the conversation around the meal. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. So they apparently expected to see Sarah here, and, and she's not there uh, to visit them for whatever reason. Maybe she's tired from making six gallons of wheat cakes. Um, you know, y'all can relate with that. But maybe she didn't know who was there, right? Hebrews 13.2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know, she's unaware, very possibly, of who's there. Right? But she has this wonderful opportunity for hospitality. You, you never know when the Lord is going to show up. It's why you don't want to skip things, you know, because you don't know when revival is going to break out. You don't know when that sermon, whether it's in the morning or evening, is going to have that special impact and power that, you know, you need inside your life. There's something that God does in these special times. You never know when he's going to show up in a powerful way. He does show up every time, but you never know when that special work is going to happen, um, where God especially speaks to your heart. Verse 10 um, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this, next time, uh, about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son, a great promise with a timeline in a year. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. She didn't want to miss this message, right? She's listening. Not part of the conversation, but she must have known that something was different. There's a curiosity, wonders, what is it that's going to happen? Maybe she had hope they'd bring her some good news. Verse 11 now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Right? It's just too much for her. You can hear the doubt in her words. They're old. Too old, she thinks. Cannot possibly have pleasure, she says. She confide herself in the misery, at least in this part of her life. And there, there is a doubt that any of us can bring with us throughout our lives. 
We can doubt a, a variety of things and just sort of uh, label us, la label ourselves by these things, speak to our future of them. You know, we can tell ourselves, God can never use me with all the things that I've done. God, you know, I'll never be able to be in a relationship. I could never go to heaven. I could never go on a mission trip. I'll never love again. I'll never change. Do you know how old I am? I'll never stop this sin or I'll never be happy. And the thing is, as soon as we begin to say those things, is that we begin to construct our own reality around us. I mean, the cynicism, you know, uh, puts these things into place for us. Now, in this case, in Genesis 18, the Lord is saying exactly the opposite of what Sarah is saying. You know, he said it back in Genesis 17. I don't know why she doesn't believe that. Maybe Abraham never told her, because he tells it to Abraham. Or maybe she just heard it and she didn't believe it. But it could very well have been that her, her own sense of her own weakness, her own sense of her frailties, that those overshadow the, the hope and the promise of God. That the very promises he has given to her and to them are overshadowed by her weaknesses. You know, her age may be more powerful than these promises in her life. And so her laughter, it seems so, so cynical. It, it doubts God and it's uh, really cynical of her own weaknesses. There's a hopelessness in it. It's not joy or, or laughter in it, but there's, there's a hopelessness in it. Sometimes we're just too afraid to hope. And so we just laugh. But God's power is greater than her age and it's more powerful than her unbelief. Look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then he goes on to say, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. Don't you love those words? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I don't know if it makes you think of another passage in the Bible, but an angel said that to another young lady, well, in this case, a young lady, young virgin named Mary, Right, as she was told that she was going to have a child. And she said, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And what does the angel say to her? Is anything impossible for God? Right, Mary learned that nothing is impossible for God. Sarah learned that nothing is impossible for God. And we have that reminder that we need to make space in our hope, for the, make space in our hearts for the promises of God. Are we feeding ourselves with lies of the things we can't do when God says that he'll do those things in us and through us. Do we limit our possibilities through the things that we tell ourselves? Sarah needed to make room for God to act in her life. She needed to make room for God to be God, past that cynicism, past that disappointment, past that doubt, and to see who God is, that he's the God of resurrection. Right? Just as Jesus Christ, just as God raised Jesus from the dead, as we heard one of the testimonies earlier, really, physically, historically, raised Jesus from the dead, doing something which is impossible, we know that he can accomplish his seemingly impossible promises in us. Romans 14.9 reminds us of this resurrection. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both to the dead and the living. If, G if God raised Jesus from the dead, we know he can do other so-called impossible things. It's not a guarantee we'll have everything we want in this life. It's not a freedom from any disappointment, but there's a hope that moves us, that carries us in that grief, in that disappointment, carries us in that sadness. God calls out her laughter, points it out, 
But the response of Sarah in verse 15 shows she's not ready to be honest with herself. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. She's afraid to be honest with God, but God knows. God knows that she laughed, and in speaking to her, he invites her to experience grace. He invites her to grace. But she needs to be honest with herself. She needs to be honest with God. Worse than the laughter itself is her refusal to admit that she laughed. It's kind of, um, I don't know, just came to me. You know, worse than the alcoholism is the denial of, of the alcoholism. Worse than the drinking is the denial of it. Just locks them in, right? In the same way, you know, her denial of her doubt here locks her in that cynicism. As long as she lies to herself and God, she'll only know the shame of that weakness. If she lies, she won't have to face her trials. That's true. I won't have to face up that I laughed or my disappointments. But she don't see God's help. She won't see God's help either. And so he invites her to faith. Will she believe that God is good? Will she believe that God will still accept her? Will she believe that God forgives sins? Will she believe that God's promises are indeed for her? And if she comes to him by faith, God will pour out grace of acceptance, forgiveness, adoption, love, and a baby eventually. Her doubts and her fears will not stop the promises of God as she can be honest with God about them. So remember that God is the God of resurrection. He raised Jesus from the dead. And even in our worst fears and our greatest doubts, that God brings hope. And that's an invitation to you and to me. And that's what I want to finish with, is bringing our real life to God, but, bringing, but finding hope in that. Bring our real disappointments, our real hurts, our real life to God, but trusting with God and, and in the midst of that sorrow is looking upward. Somebody from this congregation said they were reading Tim Challies' book, Seasons of Sorrow. I can't remember who it was, but I decided to read it because you suggested it. So Seasons of Sorrow, it's a book about the death of his 20-year-old son, Nick. Suddenly, while he was at college, uh, just sudden, uh, s- sudden death just dropped down dead. And Tim Challey's wrestling with this, this sudden death of his son. And it's, you know, you think of the situation as unbelievably sorrowful. It's something I can't comprehend, Right? And if uh, it's a struggle for him, if there's a reason for doubt and disappointment and cynicism, you know, it's there. And as I read the book, the thing that struck me is how he writes himself through that sadness, how he writes himself through the grief. He writes himself to hope. He's, he's honest in his grief, but he writes himself about the hope that he has in God. Here's one paragraph that I think highlighted it, again, in response to the sudden death of his son, he says, I know I am heading into a future that is utterly unknown, utterly foreign, utterly opaque. I'm headed into a future I cannot see and will not see until future has become present and present has become past. A wise man once said that true victory of faith is to trust God in the dark and through the dark. I trusted God as he led me through daylight. I will trust him now as he leads me through the thickest darkness. I may not be able to see the way I go, but I don't need to because my eye is fixed on the one who is guiding me there. 
He has given me every reason to trust him. He's given me every reason to have confidence that he will hold my course steady until the keel of this weather-beaten little boat has finally nudged against the shore of glory. And I am home. You know, recognition of deep grief and, and, a, and a looking towards God's promises and a holding on to that hope. He writes that. We need to live that as we deal with our disappointments and our griefs in this world. So let me ask you, are you being honest with the disappointments that you have in your life? Are you being honest with God about those things? When you read um, his word and promises of forgiveness, of eternal life, of, of change and transformation in Christ, do you think, well, that's, that's good for others, but it's not good for me? Or will you cry out like the unbelieving father who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He shows grace in those times. So how do we handle these unbelievable promises? We pray. You know, we cry out to God. We say, God, I've trusted and I've faced so many disappointments and I face disappointment in this. Have I misunderstood your promises? Have I, have I misdirected them? But Lord, in the end, I, I hold on. I trust your promises. So ultimately, we look forward to Christ and we look for all of the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. In resurrection, right? Just as God raised him from the dead, we have that promise of forgiveness, of eternal life, abundant life, they're all in him. And as we make Christ that final hope, we see our disappointments are met with him. They're met in him, the one who overcame death, who was raised from the dead. There's no need for cynicism. As we bring our discouragements and frustrations, we do them in faith in a resurrected Savior who pleads for us, prays for us, and waits for us in heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we often get disappointed. And God, sometimes that disappointment turns to cynicism, turns to hard doubt. God, there are times we sin against you and others in that. Father, we ask you'd help us to walk in hope, that you would help us to make space for you in our lives and in our hearts. God, we have every reason to hope You have raised Jesus from the dead. We have every reason for hope. You have already declared your victory. Father, help us to walk in him. Help us to find the life that he brings and the knowledge that nothing is impossible for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.